0: All right. Merry Christmas. Happy Thanksgiving. You guys can have a seat. Wanted to mention this morning for the scripture reading, we've got several middle schoolers. Most of these guys went to Ocean City. Actually, every one of this group was in Ocean City last weekend. We had a group of middle schoolers who go to a youth conference every year. And it's always a lot of fun, but we had five who made commitments to follow Jesus last weekend. So that was huge. Did not see that coming. And so I asked for some volunteers, and I had more than five who were willing to jump in and do the scripture reading for us because we wanted to set the stage for Advent this morning. So we're going to go down the line. This is practice. Just say your name. Lainey. Gavin. Amy. Daniel. Tyler. Okay. They did pretty good, right? Okay. All right. So Laney's going to read first. This morning we're reading from the first chapter of Luke's Gospel. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go to the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense came, All the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in their spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power that your word has to change our lives. Thank you for the reality behind what we just heard, and I pray that you would open up our hearts and speak to us this morning as only you can. We give you this time and pray in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.
1: Uh, Thanks for that prayer, Alex. We really are looking for God to speak today in a way that only he can, and that kind of tees up a couple of comments this morning, so I'm going to be quick today because uh, thanks so much for coming and happy Thanksgiving, especially those of you who are guests today. Great to have you. We do this service project every year and Alex will tell us more about it in a few minutes, but this is just a way for us to remind ourselves that it's not about us. Number one, it's about something bigger than us and I'll say something about that in a second, but also it's about others. We're a, a lot of What we do, who we are, what God has invested in our lives. He's invested in our lives so that we can invest in the lives of others. So a couple of quick comments. We're going to do a series of messages over the next four weeks during Advent that we're calling His Story. Get it? Because history is really His story. So we're going to let today act as a kind of general introduction. Instead of talking too much specifically about the passage from today, and this is an awesome passage But instead of talking too much about the details of this story, we're going to give kind of a general introduction today. And we'll be real brief, but I want to cover a critically important belief that we have as Christians, critically important. So this is almost one of those ideas, one of those beliefs, and especially I'm so glad our teenagers and boys and girls are in here today, because this is almost one of those ideas that, man, if you forget everything else, don't forget this. This is a critically important belief that we're going to go over today that tees up really the whole story of, of Jesus and what it's about. While Diane and I were away for Thanksgiving, and we went to spend several days this week with Diane's family in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Diane grew up in Winston-Salem, and she has a sister who still lives there, so We go invade her house for the last several Thanksgivings, and all of the aunts and uncles and uh, cousins come, and it's a lot of fun. Diane has a very fun family. Well, while we were there, one of the things that we did, her sister and brother-in-law have a smart television, so we were watching YouTube the whole time when we weren't watching football. And we pulled up YouTube videos of, I don't know how many of you have seen this, but it's it's a little show on True TV, and I don't ever watch True TV, but a little show on True TV called The Carbonera Effect. And this is kind of, he's part magician, and it's kind of like a cross between a magic show and Candid Camera. So what he does is he sets himself up behind a retail desk, just like a a regular store, and he does a variety of stores. And he'll act like just the retail sales guy, and he's really awesome, and he's a magician. So he, he sort of lets people walk into the magic trick that he performs right in front of them. So, for instance... My favorite one was this guy comes up, and he's like the cashier at a health food store. This guy walks up. He's minding his own business, and he's got some, I don't know what he's got, some kind of goofy health food, and he puts it on the counter, and he's going to buy it. His name is Michael Carbonara. Michael Carbonara says quite innocently, so have you heard about, what was it, kale? Yes, kale cannoli. So you know what a cannoli is. A cannoli is an Italian pastry that is quintessential goodness. I mean, it's just total sugar, and it's absolute awesomeness. So he says, have you heard about a kale cannoli? And the guy goes, no, I haven't. Well, you know, would you like me to demonstrate it? And he's already in, so the guy doesn't want to be rude. And he's, you know, he's kind of half-interested. He says, yeah, okay. So he said, well, you take this piece of banana paper, and he puts, who knows what banana paper is. He's making all this stuff up. And he lays it down on the counter, and then he says, then you have to take a piece of bamboo, and what he's really got is just a branch that's cut in half. I mean, it's just a piece of wood. And he lays it down on this bamboo paper. And he says, then you need some pine needles to put in. And listen, this is a no calories and gluten-free. <laughs> this guy's buying all of it. And then you need, we, you get, he grabs some kale. He says, this is locally grown organic kale. And he puts it in there in the mix with the wood. And he says, and then you need some goji sand. Because Goji San emulsifies and he throws several other words in. This guy has no idea what he's talking about, and neither do we. Sprinkles it on there and he says, Now you wrap it, if you wrapped it up, and he he wraps it in twine. And he says, And after you do that, this is a really important step. You have to heat it, and you have to heat it just the right amount. You can use a regular lamp and just pass it underneath the lamp. But I use a heat lamp. So he grabs these tongs and he turns a heat lamp upside down and he passes it back and forth and then he brings it back over onto the table and he opens it up and it's a cannoli. <laughs> And it looks like total goodness. And so this guy goes, Wow, I don't, I don't, what, what, what am I looking at? <laughs> and, the, you know, it, keep, it goes on. He, he says, Well, I mean, what, what happened to the wood? And he says, Well, you have to start with that because that gives it its form. And you need the goji sand because that emulsifies. Wow, I don't even know what I'm looking at. <laughs> and then he says, Can I? Take a bite of it? He says, sure, you can take a bite of it. So he picks it up and he bites and he says, well, this is delicious. I'll take two kits. (laughs) And I thought, you know, that really, that has a lot to do with our faith. I I wanted to do a magic trick this morning, but I don't know any. This is how faith works, but not by sleight of hand, by revelation. Our faith comes Because of revelation. We know what we know about God because of the big reveal. Because God shows it to us. This is what we believe. Reality is shown us. We don't figure it out. We don't find it. Reality is shown to us. We get what we get because it's revealed to us. And we see the the most powerful, poignant hints of that. Perfect hints of that in this passage. An angel appears to Zechariah. Revelation in itself, and then we get revelation about revelation. Listen, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be John, and he's going to prepare my people for the greatest movement in human history. This appearance is itself a revelation, but the angel also reveals what God is about to do and how Zechariah fits into it. So again, this is revelation about revelation. The idea that what we know about God by revelation is an incredibly important belief for us. That means Christianity is a religion of revelation, which means, don't miss this, our connection to God is not essentially a seeker activity. We don't look inside ourselves and find the answers to the universe. The answer is revealed to us. So this means that the Oprah Winfrey year of the spirit was mostly misleading because we're not out searching the universe and finding answers. This is an indictment against the spirituality of our day, which imagines that we're all out there searching for God, and we stumble onto different truths, and hey, if it works for us, that's great. But that can't be right, because God may very well not be real. You and I may be completely wrong, but look, if God is real, He is what He is. We don't get to make up what He is. And so while you can be sincerely right about God, you can also be sincerely wrong. It matters what you believe. God shows himself to us, and that's how we know God. The truth is that God goes looking for us. He moves within us, and then we go searching for him. The fact that we know what we know about God by revelation also means that our connection to God is not essentially about our disciplined effort. It's not about our effort to be good or to understand. This is an indictment against the religion of the suburbs, I believe, because we think everything is about our disciplined effort. We think we are who we are by the the strength of our arms and, and our good sense and our hard work. Please understand, we have to exert effort to be good We have to exert effort to understand God. But that effort comes as a byproduct of God working in our lives. God moves in us, and then we move toward Him with discipline and purpose. I like the way the Apostle Paul says it. This is awesome. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives an encouragement. Hey, get out there and, and do your thing. Work at your spiritual life. But then listen to how he follows that. Listen to these verses. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But put in the effort to be good and to know God. But he follows it with this, because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The prophets certainly believed this. Jeremiah, one of the prophets, he offers up a very well-known, really tender passage The Jews' land had been ransacked, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and they'd actually been taken into exile. And Jeremiah the prophet offers a a famous prophecy. Some of you may actually know this one. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 and following. He's writing to the children of Israel that are exiled and want to make it back to their promised land. And Jeremiah writes them a promise that it's going to happen. I know that there are some people at Gateway. One of these verses is their life verse, but listen to what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah, I'm going to begin with verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, when the perfect time comes, you're in Babylon right now, but when the perfect time comes, listen, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Older translations say, I will visit you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, because I'll come to you. I know the plans I have for you, and I'm going to bring those plans to fruition, and then you'll come and seek me. And if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me, because I've come to you. We know what we know about God by revelation. Jesus agreed with this. Listen in one of Jesus' most tender sayings. Jesus says this, again, a passage some of you will be familiar with, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus. Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We know what we know about God because God shows it to us. God reveals it to us. Christianity is a religion of revelation. This is why we pray and read the Bible. Not to check a box for our own spirituality. Not so we can be good people. And so we can earn favor with God. We read the Bible and we pray because we're opening ourselves up to God revealing himself to us. Because we know what we know about God because he shows us. And here's the unique thing about Christianity. Listen to this. Christianity is not a sole source revelation. There are other revelatory religions. There are other religions that believe in revelation. Primarily, we might say, Islam and Mormonism, for example. But they are largely sole source revelations. Their picture of God comes from primarily one source. Christianity suggests that God has revealed himself to dozens and really hundreds of people over centuries and those revelations are always consistent with one another this is the essence of luke chapters one and two god is revealing himself to us so a couple more words let me give you a quick word about the supernatural elements in this story just to tee us up for the next three weeks and then i'm just going to end by giving you really what's our theme for the whole next several weeks together So first of all, the supernatural elements, you know, if God is going to reveal himself, then that revelation to us, then that revelation will by definition include supernatural elements because God is supernatural, and he does so in this story. There are supernatural elements, obviously, all throughout this story that show themselves to us, and, and these elements become part of what some scholars and historians struggle with in this story. You know, no historian worth his salt believes that there was not a person named Jesus. And that he didn't do fantastic things, and he he wasn't, at least for a brief period of time, a hero to certain Jewish people under the reign of Rome in Palestine. But, But there are many who will doubt the factuality, the historicity of some of these incidences. And I want you to know, I want to be clear, I believe the incidences that are recorded for us in Luke, happened literally as they are recorded for us. And I'm also convinced that Luke believed that. And if you listen to the very first paragraph that, I can't remember who read the first paragraph for us, but if you listen to the very first paragraph that was read for us, Luke himself had investigated the details of this story. He wanted to make sure for himself. So let me make an argument today just for one of the supernatural occurrences. And the same kind of thing could be said about the entire story in Luke chapters 1 and 2, and that's what we're going to cover over the next four weeks. Take the appearance of the angel. Some have suggested, of course, that kind of thing can never happen. An appearance of an angel is far outside the bounds of our natural experience. It's too far to be believed. The best explanation for it that's offered is that this was Zechariah was in a really peculiar place. He was chosen by Lot. This was a singular event in his life. Usually for a priest in ancient Israel, this would only happen one time on a special day. The priest goes in to make prayers for the people in the holy place, and Zechariah is there, and he was in such an excited psychological state that in his overblown ecstasy, he has imagined the experience. I read a little bit about that this week, and against that, I would suggest that if the angel were merely a psychological manifestation of his overly excited sensations, then why did he reject the message? I read a therapist this week who said this about this incident. To believe in the reality of a subjective appearance and not to believe its testimony is an untenable contradiction. In other words, that's just too weak a point. How in the world would you imagine that an angel appears, but then you'd reject the angel's testimony? It's ridiculous, he's saying. So let's end. We know what we know about God because of revelation. So here's the punchline. If you forget everything else, don't miss this. This is what our next four weeks are about. We can't know our own story apart from knowing how we fit into his story. We can't know our own story apart from how we fit into his story. And much of the angst that you and I feel on a daily basis, much of the angst we feel about the decisions that we have to make, it's because we're making those decisions or we're taking actions on on ourselves and we're doing them apart from recognizing and knowing how we fit into his story. So the challenge for you and I this week is uh, let's be looking for God because he's at work. He's revealing himself. We know what we know about God because he shows himself to us. So let's be looking for God at work in our lives this week. I want us to ask ourselves regularly and ask one another this week. Before worship, each week we usually go back and pray, the worship team and I. I or someone will usually say, so what are your God sightings this week? And usually we stand around and stare at one another's shoes because we can't come up with anything because we haven't been aware enough of what God is doing in our lives. So this week, let's be aware because God is showing himself to us. Sometimes peaking our emotions and sometimes our thoughts and sometimes profoundly he's altering the natural course of things because an angel appears or someone gets healed, or something supernatural happens. It it breaks into the natural world. So let's be looking this week for God to show himself because we know what we know about God because he shows himself to us, and we don't know who we are until we know how we fit into his larger story. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to serve. Thank you that you show yourself to us. We thank you for your word, Lord, we believe your story is an actual revelation, and it's the record of your revelation to those who've gone before us. You've shown yourself to us, and thank you for speaking to our hearts and stirring them. Thank you for the thoughts that you give us. Thank you for arranging the circumstances of our lives, and Lord, we also thank you for those remarkable, unique moments in our lives when you radically and supernaturally intervene we ask this week that you would show yourself to us and god we open our hearts and we make ourselves available to you we thank you so much for uh, jesus and jesus we thank you that you came in your mighty name we pray amen